Welcome to today's episode. I am your host, Michael Aceta, founder of Matador Canine Brilliance, author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes, and host of the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Thank you for joining me. Today, I want to talk about the difference between real-life training and just showing off. You know, doing that competition-style heel, doing some amazing tricks, which are always fun to do with your dog. But many times, they replace that real-world training that you have to have solid. If you don't have that real-world training solid, then you can't do the fun stuff. But many people skip over the real-world training. So I want to go through why they're a little bit different and how you can set yourself up for success in the long term. Let's jump into it. Number one, always, always do real-life training first. Now, why is this? As I previously mentioned, you cannot do the fun stuff if you don't do the real-life training. I want you to think about, in your life, when you skipped doing the fundamentals and you tried to jump to the expert level, and it was no longer fun, right? I used to play Guitar Hero with my brother. I don't know if you've ever played Guitar Hero, but it's a, it's a video game, and your goal is to follow along with the music by pressing buttons and hitting certain notes. You know, it's a video game, so you're not actually playing anything. But your goal is to be able to play the music by hitting the notes, and if you don't hit the notes at the right time, in the right order, then the music doesn't come out right. It sounds junky, and you could get kicked off the band, right? So the whole goal was to play the music correctly. Now, there is a very difficult song that I do not remember the name of. I think it's a, it might be Knights of Cambodia or something like that. But it was a very difficult piece to play, and I could not play it, but my brother loved to try and play it. So when I was just watching and observing my brother, because it, was it wasn't a two-player kind of game, he was really good at it. Now, he had practiced all of the other songs in order to play this really difficult song. You couldn't have just hopped on to Guitar Hero and started playing this song right away. It just wouldn't have worked. Same thing goes for your dog. So if you want to go do agility, if you want to go do dock diving, if you want to do protection sports, if you want to do anything with your dog, you have to have the fundamentals down first. Just imagine how difficult it would be trying to take your dog out of the car and sit and relax and wait a couple hours before it's your turn to do anything. And imagine how stressful that will be if you worked on real-world applications and training. Then you could get out of the car. They could be nice and relaxed. Everything would be cool and calm. And then when it was your turn to go, they jazz up. They get all excited. You do your run and agility or whatever you're doing. And then afterwards, they can relax again. The real-world training is that relaxation. It's the calming down. It's the focus on you. It's the loose leash walking. It's all of those things. So why do we push to be able to do the difficult things when we can't do the easy things? And I don't mean easy as in, oh, you should have this down pat. You should. But understandably, not everybody goes at that same pace. Now, if you and a friend got a dog at the same time, and they're progressing really quickly, that does not mean that you are failing. It just means that the situation and circumstances you are in are completely different. Your dog might have, you know, a, a challenge learning new behaviors simply because you work a lot. And so you're doing five to ten minutes every morning and night when you're feeding them breakfast and dinner. When your friend and their dog, they go out every day for two hours. And the dog has a lot of energy, so they're willing to work longer, Right? It just depends on your lifestyle, it depends on your dog, it depends on so many factors. But I don't want you to think that, oh, well, I'm never going to get to the fun stuff. You will get to the fun stuff. 
The first thing you have to do, though, is train for real-world applications. You have to train for real-world applications. Can they wait by the door? Can they walk nice next to you on leash? Can they get into the car and stay in there with the door open? Can you put them in a crate if you need to? Can they wear a muzzle if they need to? Right? Can you handle them? Can you manipulate their body in a weird way and they're okay with it? Because think about it. If you're going to do agility or you're going to do lure coursing or anything else with your dog, there's a high potential for them to get injured. Even if you're going to go play fetch, they're going to get injured at some point. And it doesn't have to be catastrophic. They don't have to like break a leg. They could pull a muscle. They could break a nail. They could slip their pad. I've had all of those things happen to my one dog particularly. So what you have to know is can I hold them? You know, for Hawk, he was running on um, that like cushiony uh, foam padding they have in gyms. It was in a facility. He was running across to get the ball and he skidded to stop himself so he could pick up the ball and he sliced open his pad. The floor was not designed to slice open his pad, but it happened. And so he stopped what he was doing. He kind of sat there and looked at me. He didn't bring the ball back. And clearly I could tell something was wrong. So I go over to him. I pick up his pad. I look at it. It was a tiny little cut, but it was enough to start bleeding. But because I practiced the handling and the real world applications before we started doing the fun stuff of agility and fetch and dock diving and all those things, I was able to hold his paw and wrap it. Same thing happened with my other dog. We were doing some more advanced training getting him used to real-world applications, and he was going up those graded stairs. And his nail got caught, unfortunately, in the na- the graded stair, and it broke. Of course, he whined, he winced, but we asked for a paw. He picked, he picked his leg up, gave it to us. Because we had rewarded it so heavily, he knew that everything was going to be okay. Not in like, oh, everything's going to be okay, buddy, but he was probably going to get a treat for giving us his paw. And he was willing to forego the potential pain of his finger being broken, not his finger, the uh, nail being broken, in opportunity to get a reward. That's what I'm talking about when I say real-life training. If anything were to go wrong, do you have the confidence that your dog does know what they should be doing in real-life situations? Okay, so you have to do the real-life situations first, then you can do the quote-unquote fun stuff. I say, quote, fun stuff, because real-life training can be fun. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be mundane. It doesn't have to be something that you dread doing. It should be something that's exciting. You're building your relationship with your dog. You're building more confidence in what your dog is capable of and what you're capable of, what you guys are capable of together. Train real-life things first. Number two, sandwich fun stuff with real-life training. Okay, so if you're going to start doing fetch, let's just, you know, keep it simple with fetch. You want to start teaching your dog a game of fetch. Everything you do up until the point where you get to your backyard or the field to play fetch should be practicing real life implications. So let's say we're going to a field. It's down the block. We got to get into the car. First thing we're going to do, make sure our dog is calm when we put the leash on. Make sure they're paying attention to us when we head out the door. Make sure they're not dragging us to the car because they want to go somewhere and they don't want to listen to us. Make sure that when they get into the car, we have complete control over what's going on. So if you're going to put them into a crate, you can put them into the crate, you can unclip the leash, and they're not going to run out of the car. right? And you don't have to like quickly unclip the leash, close the gate, if you're going to put them into a crate. So you should be able to be relaxed 
And I see way too many dog owners rushing with their dog because they're worried. The only way to increase your confidence is through successful repetitions. The only way to increase your confidence and your dog's confidence is through successful repetitions. It's the only way. So when you put your dog into the car and you rush to unclip the leash and close the door really quick, you're practicing not only a bad version of the behavior that you do want, but you're not practicing the behaviors you do want. You're not building the confidence. So you're actually bringing yourself down instead of boosting yourself up. So what I want you to do instead is train those specific moments, whatever those moments are. When you put your dog into the car, have treats with you. And before you take the leash off, start rewarding them for staying in the car. You could even have them jump out of the car, go back in, and reward them again. And you're just keeping them in the vehicle with the door open and the leash attached, but teaching them to wait for you to release them out of the car or to invite them out of the car, right? Same thing with the crate. Oh, I tell my dog to go in the crate. They jump into the crate. They turn around. I still have the leash on them. Some people will take the leash off. And sometimes I do that with my dog. I'll take the leash off, tell them crate, and they go in. I do not recommend this if you do not have a high level of success in the real world training that we're talking about. That's what, that, that all comes back to that, right? If I said, oh, we'll take the leash off your dog and have them jump into the car. What happens if they don't pay attention? What happens if you can't take the leash off them? That means you have to train more on the real life applications of what were to happen if the leash broke. What were to happen if the leash broke? Then you get to do the fun stuff. So if we're going to the park, I get my dog into the crate. Everything's nice and calm and relaxed. I close the gate. I close the trunk. I get into the car. I go to the park. And before we go to the field to run around, before you go to the dog park, if that's what you do, before you go to your friend's house, you still practice the real life implications. So I'm going to open up the trunk. I'm going to open up the gate. My dog's going to wait in the car. And this has happened to me where I open everything up and I have to go get something from this front seat, right? I might have brought the leash with me to the front seat by accident. Now, you can close the gate and close the trunk. And I recommend that if you're in the beginning stages of training. But I know my dog's not jumping out. I have a very high level of certainty that they are not going to leave until I tell them to. So I will leave them in the crate with the trunk open and the gate to the crate open. I'll go get the leash and I'll come back. And when you do that, when you practice that, you reward them when you come back. You either reward them with the environmental reward, which is coming out of the crate and getting to go do something, or treats, or a chew, or a toy, whatever it is. You can give that to them in the crate. You see how that all goes together? Well, I did something. How can I reward my dog for doing the right thing? First, you have to recognize that they're doing the right thing. Second, you actually have to reward it. And third, you have to set them up next time to be able to reward them again. You have to constantly do that process. Constantly do that. So now I've sandwiched, right? We haven't even gotten to the fun part yet. So my dog has done all of this practice for real life implications before we even get to the field, before we even get to the park. They come out of the crate. Now I might do some loose leash walking first. I might keep my dog engaged with me. That would be perfect. If you can do that, that means that your dog is way more attentive to you than they are to the outside world. Why is that important? Because if you go to a competition or you go to do something and your dog's focused more on the activity 
If anything happens where you need their immediate attention, you won't have it. They're so focused on the activity, you don't have their attention. Now we're at competing motivations. So, you do a little bit of leaf leash walking, maybe you do a little bit of relaxation exercise, maybe you do a little bit of obedience, that's fine. Right? Sit down, stay, come, heal, all that stuff. Then, you play fetch. And in between playing fetch, maybe you ask for some real-life implications. So you might throw the ball, have a grand old time, and you recall them back. They give you the ball a second time, and maybe you have them lay down and relax. Maybe you toss the ball, but you don't release them. So they're sitting or laying down next to you, and the ball is 10 feet away, and then you tell them to go get it. Practicing stimulus control. Don't do anything until I tell you to do it. That is remarkable in the event that you accidentally throw the ball and your dog goes to take after it and the ball goes into an area your dog can't go. Now what do you do? Right? You have to teach them to stop or not to go until you tell them to go. Much easier to have them not go until you tell them to go than to stop your dog in motion. I still think it should be an exercise for you. I'm going to stop my dog in motion. Right? The dog's running towards the ball or the stick or whatever it is and you stop them, recall them back, or have them lay down where they are. Those are insanely useful, but they're very advanced. So the bare bones, the minimum, should be they have to stay next to you. When you throw the object, they wait. They don't have to wait forever. They just have to wait. Because if something were to happen, and you haven't released them, then you can grab them. Right? I, I throw the ball, my dog's waiting next to me, I throw the ball, and a loose dog runs over. Okay, well I don't want my dog running after a ball with a loose dog that I don't know. Potentially they could get injured, they could get to a fight, or they're going to start playing, and they're going to run around the field and potentially go somewhere I can't get them. Right, they could run into the street not knowing. That's a problem. So, I throw the ball, my dog's next to me, I can grab the collar. And now we can pause, and we can wait for a second. So, what you need to understand is that those real-life implications will always be there. They will always happen. Whether you're practicing in training or whether you're playing, whatever you're doing, the implications are still necessary. So right after the fun, you go back to training the real-life implications. You go back to it to teach your dog not only are we going to use our brain for every activity we do, Every fun activity, every real-life activity, we're going to use our brain, we're going to use the skills that we know how to use. When we're done, we're going to go back to those. So we're bringing the attention back on to you. Your goal is to have your dog's attention 99% of the time. When you walk into the room, they should look to you like, ooh, what, what do you got? You got treats? You got something? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But we want to make sure that they are thinking about you most of the time. So you're going to sandwich it. You started with the real-world training, the focus training, the obedience training. Then you went to the fun stuff. Then you went back to the real-life focus training. Now, number three is the most important, and this is going to be calling some people out. And I'm going to say this because I want to call you out. I want to make you aware of this. Do not use the fun stuff as an excuse. This happens way too often. I see it constantly. Do not use the fun stuff as an excuse. What do I mean by that? If you're going to do something fun with your dog, you're going to go to the dog park, 
do not use it as an excuse for your dog not to listen. So when you get out of the car, don't go, oh my God, they're so excited. Okay, we'll just go to the park. Like We can work on the training later. Don't do that. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out right now. Way too many people do it, and that's one of the huge reasons as to why they have behavior problems with their dog. Because they let their dog change the expectations of the behavior they've already worked on. They've done so much work with. They're letting their dog change the expectations for this particular situation. How confusing would it be if when you were at home, you did something very mundane, you know, change a coffee pot. You did it one way, and then when you went to work, you did it the same way. You were supposed to do it the same way, but your boss says, hey, I need you to do it with your left hand instead of your right hand. You're like, what? Why? Sure, you would adapt to it, and that would become a custom, but it's confusing. You're like, wait, this is supposed to be the same thing. I'm just removing the coffee pot and putting it in the sink. Why do I have to do it with my left hand? And your boss is like, nope, you got to do it with your left hand. Now, with your dog, it's the same analogy. It's the same thing. So the behavior that you want is walking next to you. Okay, that's that's our equivalent to removing the pot and putting it in the sink. All those other times, you're like, hey, I need you to walk directly next to me. You got to be right by my side. Maybe not a heel position, but you got to be pretty close. But now we go to the dog park, and instead of having that expectation, your dog could pull you. Now what's going to happen? Right? If you go to work every day and you practice picking up the coffee pot with your left hand, you're going to adapt to that version. And when you're at home, you might do both. You know at work you got to do it one way. But at home, you might do both. You might grab with the left or the right. doesn't matter. Your dog is just going to do it all the time. They're like, okay, sometimes I pull, sometimes I stay near. Uh, I don't really know what the difference is. Maybe I stay near half the time, but when I get excited, I don't listen. And then you, you're going to use that as an excuse. Oh, well, my dog's really excited. They're not going to listen. Oh, I told them to down, but I understand there's a lot of dogs, so you know I'll just, I'll just let it slide this time. You have to be strict on what your expectation is. You don't have to necessarily be strict on your dog. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to get mad at them because they didn't listen, but you do have to be strict on what your expectation is. I want my dog to down within three seconds of me asking immediately where they were standing when I asked them. That's specific. That does not change when we're at the park, whether we're at home, in the backyard, in the basement, whether they're standing on something or not standing on something. But we give them an excuse by saying, oh, well, there's a lot going on right now. Or, you know, uh, they're breathing heavy. Okay, they're breathing heavy. You got to work on some cardio. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we should change our expectation on the behavior. If you want your dog to walk nice next to you on leash... That is everywhere. So when you go to the park, you have to practice it. It has to become part of their routine. You want them to go to the dog park, don't get 10 feet from the dog park, your dog starts pulling and you go, all right, okay. And I get it. You're going to be tired at the end of the day when you're taking your dog to the park, right? You just worked at 9 to 5, it's 5.30, you want to take your dog to the park quick, get all their energy out, and then go have dinner. I get it. It would be much more beneficial much more beneficial to your dog to practice loose leash walking outside of the dog park than to actually go in the dog park. It's going to burn their mental energy. Physical energy, they'll start to adapt, which means you're going to have to go to the park longer. 
You're going to have to do more with your dog. But mental energy, mental challenges like that are much easier for you to control and manipulate to burn your dog's mental energy. So don't use the fun stuff as an excuse. You're going to do an agility course. Agility is just obedience in motion. I tell my dog to sit. They have to sit. I tell my dog to jump over something. They have to jump over the right thing. I tell them to down. It's different than to sit. I tell them to go through the tunnel. It's different than the jump. Right? The same rules apply. It's obedience in motion. So if you don't have the obedience, if you don't have the focus, then you can't do the agility. You just can't. Okay? Now listen. Those three things, those three things that I mentioned are insanely important. And if you want to start implementing them into your daily life, if you want to start teaching these skills, loose leash walking, stopping at doors, waiting in the crate, stay, leave it, all of that stuff, I just created the Daily Life Skills course. Head over to matadorcanine.com slash daily life skills and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. It's an absolutely wonderful course. It dives in deep on everything that you need to teach your dog, and it makes it easy through a step-by-step process. So you never wonder what you need to be doing next. You never wonder what skills you need to be teaching. It's all there for you. It's easily formatted so you can follow along. And I want to leave you with a short little story. I was working at a facility, and we had a couple who just got a puppy. It was their, their first puppy. And they wanted to make sure this puppy was trained perfectly. They didn't want any behavior problems. They didn't want any aggression. They had heard horror stories of people getting their first dog and the dog being a a chaos maniac monster, just destroying everything. So they didn't want that. So we said, perfect. Now, at this facility, there were multiple trainers that rotated. So I understood what I just talked about today. Real life implications first. Real life implications first. And then you can do the fun stuff. And that was what they had said, too. They were like, yeah, we just want a dog that's well-behaved. And I said, wonderful. So we're going to teach these three things. Those three things, by the way, are in the Daily Life Skills course. So we teach those three things in their first session. They go home. They practice it. They come back the next week, and they're with me again. I ask how those three things went. They said, oh, you know, we're struggling a little bit. And I said, awesome. Let's work on it. So we develop it a little bit more. We develop it a little bit more. They go home that week. And they call to reschedule with another trainer. We had multiple trainers and we rotated. So they wanted to be with another trainer just because they had been with me twice. And the original trainer that they had met, they haven't seen yet. They wanted to see her. So we moved things around. We said, yeah, sure, that's fine. You know, we have the availability for it. And they wanted to see her because during the evaluation, they did some agility. And they wanted to do the agility because it was fun. It's exciting. Burns the dog's energy more. So they end up doing agility their third session. Now, mind you, they only had eight sessions. So their third session, they end up doing agility. They schedule their next week, the fourth session for agility again, and the fifth session for agility, and the sixth session for agility, and the seventh session for agility. They only have one session left in their package. And I want to remind you, in the beginning, they said they wanted a perfectly trained dog. And we went over the skills necessary to start teaching those things. But they forgot their goals. They forgot the mission. So on the eighth session, when they came in, it happened to be with me. And I said, hey, guys, how are those skills going? I know you guys have been doing agility, but I want to remind you of everything we talked about all those sessions ago. And he said, Michael, we have to be honest. It's not going well. It's not going well at all. Uh, we, we have stopped doing those things. We're just trying to burn out his energy and get him as tired as possible all the time. 
and we have no idea what to do. I said, okay, I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm going to be real with you right now on this podcast. At the end of the day, all of the fun stuff in the world cannot replace real-life training, and that's what this couple learned the hard way. They eventually had to sign up for another package just to work on now body handling because the dog was becoming aggressive with body handling. They couldn't handle the dog. They couldn't hold him. They couldn't put his harness on because he was starting to nip at them. They had to completely restart their training. Essentially restart their training. Completely restart just to work on the things that they wanted to work on in the beginning. Very quickly you can get sidetracked on what your goal is with your dog. Well, I want my dog to be perfectly well-behaved so that we can do the fun stuff. Great. Have them be well-behaved first. Then you can do all the fun stuff. I promise you, it's hard work. You can do all the fun stuff in the world only if your dog is well-behaved. I promise it is worth it. It is worth going through the, the weeks or months even some cases, to have your dog be perfectly trained first. Then everything else is butter. It's absolutely butter. And unfortunately, this couple fell into the trap of doing agility and doing the fun stuff and burning the dog's energy, which is what the internet's going to tell you to do. Oh, how how do you stop a puppy from destroying the house? Make them tired. A tired dog is a good dog. That's a classic mantra amongst individuals, new dog owners, trainers. A tired dog is a good dog. So they get the dog really tired, but then the dog doesn't learn how to coexist in our complex world. They have no idea what they need to do, and that's what your goal is in training. Teach them what they should be doing. Teach them how they should do it, when they should do it, and when they should not do it. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to learn more about training, head over to matadorcanine.com, and I'll see you next time.